1: fans welcome to another episode of her hoops that's unplugged as always you're here with Megan Gower a little bit different this week we're here on a Monday instead of a Friday bear with us figuring out schedule and everything but super excited to be talking about women's basketball with you today there's so much going on right now between WNBA free agency and then of course college women's college basketball lots of big upsets last week lots to talk about there as well we're going to kick it off with free agency, though. It, this is coming out Monday morning for you, so it is officially February 1st, which means that teams can start putting pen to paper on free agency deals. February 1st not coming hasn't stopped the news, though, because there has been tons of news over the past week in terms of free agency. Some really, really big moves kind of. A lot of surprises, um, some more expected, but just lots to talk about there. And to do that, I have Richard Cohen from our Hoops set Team, who's super involved with all of our free agency work, here to, with me today to get into what we've seen so far from WNBA free agency. Hey, Richard, how's it going? Hi, not so bad. Good to hear. I feel like we have to start with Candace Parker. There's been a lot of big moves over the last couple days, but that's by far the biggest one. She leaves the Sparks where she spent her whole career to sign up with her hometown Chicago Sky. Obviously, huge move for the Sky, huge blow to the Sparks. Big change for Parker. What are your thoughts on that move to kick it off?
2: Well, once she showed signs that she was interested, I think Chicago had to jump because I think we've seen signs, certainly under James Wade, they've become a good team, but unless De Shields was going to come in and make a leap into being a, a true star, they didn't really look like a team that was going to win the title. So if you've got the chance to add someone like Candice Parker, who with even though she's... 35 still has all the talent in the world. Then you have to make that move, especially as their core is getting old to a certain extent. Certainly, the backcourt with Vandersloot and Quigley are 32 and 35, I think, heading into the season. So, if you're going to make a move and try and win a title while you still got them, you had to do it. And Parker gives them a chance to take another step up, hopefully with Deshields coming back healthy to add her talent in as well.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. It feels like kind of a if Chicago's looking to win a title, we saw – I mean, DeShields wasn't healthy last season, but we saw they weren't just quite there in the bubble last season, and adding a player of Parker's caliber just kind of gives them that extra edge. They've got one of the best backcourts in the league. You add Parker to the frontcourt, and now they really look like a title contender, especially if DeShields is healthy. So I think it's a huge move for Chicago. And then, I mean, I think we're going to talk about – a couple blows to LA, but a big blow to LA. They sign NECA but they lose Parker and they lose Chelsea Gray, so they only signed one of their two or of their three big stars.
2: Yeah, big losses for the Sparks and I don't know whether they expected this was gonna happen coming into the off season or whether this came as a shock to them. I, obviously they could only call one and chose to go with NECA. And, I mean, they didn't have the option of Coring Parker because she was already at the limit. But, yeah, huge losses. And they've talked about moving on with a fresh core and a fresh start and all that. But you basically lost your two best players, arguably. And while we've just seen them bring in Erica Wheeler to try and replace what Gray had, they're going to have to hope that Maybe Chinea Gwimike returning, maybe Maria Vadieva, if she shows up from Russia, can help replace Parker inside, but basically this team doesn't look as good anymore, and you have to think they're they're now less likely to be a threat to win a championship, and it's more about how good they can be and whether they can still be a playoff team.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think this team, we haven't really seen them quite be like one of the top. Like teams in the league so far, I feel like. I think they finished third last season, but you know, with the star power that they had on that roster, it always felt like they're threatening to win a championship just because you know, you've you got Chelsea Gray, Candace Parker, and Nekka Agubike on your roster. That's a championship-caliber team, but we haven't really seen them get there, and now you lose two of those big pieces. So it feels almost like a bit of a rebuilding year for them. They're going to have to figure out a lot of changes, a lot of different pieces from what they're used to on the court, Like you said, I mean, they're probably just, the way the league is, I expect they're probably still a playoff team, but I mean, eight teams make the playoffs, or yeah, eight teams make the playoffs. So a lot of teams make the playoffs, but I I think it's going to be an interesting year for them. And I I don't know that we're going to see them at the top of the league. Of course, many more movements can happen between now and the summer, but right now, at least, I I don't think they're going to be, you know, a championship caliber team like they have been for the past few seasons.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of talent there. You're always, they've reportedly re-signed Sykes. There's a, hopefully, Christy Tolliver plays this year. You could have Cheney back. You could have Vadeva back. It, there's a lot of talent on the roster still, so I would still expect them to be good. But, yeah, you have to think they're less of a threat to be one of the top teams in the league than they have been in the past.
1: Yeah, agreed. And while we talk about Top teams in the league. I think we've got two other big moves to talk about. I'll start with Chelsea Gray because we've already hit on the Sparks a little bit. But she joins the Las Vegas Aces, obviously a big pickup for them. And what was you know, a team that made the WNBA finals last year is expecting to bring Liz Cambage in and then add Chelsea Gray to that mix as well.
2: Yeah, she's, I mean, she should be a great fit for Vegas because the last few years, however good the Aces have been, Lambert's never quite settled on who the hell his point guard is he never he's never quite been totally comfortable with any of his options and gray gives him a big guard who can spread the floor who can take the crunch time shot on the perimeter if they need someone to create their own shot rather than having to throw the ball inside to one of their bigs and yeah she should be a great fit exactly who else they have with her could still be open to question you never know whether cambage is going to show up even if she signs a contract she's obviously currently called but unsigned um we don't know how healthy uh plum will be coming off the injury that kept her out of last season so they've still got some question marks but there's a lot of talent there and adding gray without having to trade anyone well obviously they've lost mcbride but it's a big addition
1: yeah, I think you nailed it at the start there, that just they never seem to have that point guard role figure out and kind of adding gray just gives an obvious answer to that question that you kind of ask about the Aces every season. So it's a huge addition for them. Of course, you've got obviously Asia Wilson coming back, so that, that's a, a you know rating MVP. That's a big piece in and of itself. So even with the question marks, they look shaped up to be a really good team again this season. And then uh, talking about movements from the rating championships – reigning champions alicia clark signs with the washington Mystics. so not the reigning champions but the two years ago reigning champions at clark obviously big blow to seattle i think this one to me was the most surprising move we've seen so far
2: yeah this surprise definitely surprised me because well partly she's because she's leaving for a team that that won't really offer her much of a different role from the one that she already had in Seattle. She's still likely to be a role player who's at best the the third or fourth option on the floor most of the time. They're going to expect her to do all the the grunt work that she does as part of her game anyway. But it's not like she was leaving Seattle to go somewhere where she's going to get 15 shots a night. And basically Seattle could have afforded her And I'm surprised that she didn't stay, essentially. I can understand that she might want to move on, might want to have looked at bigger markets, might just want a fresh start. But I was expecting her to to go back to Seattle and stay part of a team that's obviously won a couple of titles in recent years and could easily be a threat to win more.
1: Yeah, great. I expected her to stay as well and then was even more surprised that the move she made was to go to the Mystics where, like you said, her role is very similar. She's not taking a move that, you know, she's going to be you know, the go-to player on a team or something like that. It's definitely interesting. I think, I mean, she still goes to a program right where, or team where she has the opportunity to win a championship. Washington is going to be good. So I mean I think we've seen that a lot in the moves that we've seen, but it's from one championship or contender at least to another. But um yeah, it's an interesting move. I I think I feel like that's the one that I'm still like trying to figure out. <laughs>
2: but And I mean it it's it's com- it's complicated from Washington's perspective as well, because we we're all saying heading into this offseason that Mike Thibault had a a lot of tricky work to do fitting everyone he wants to keep under the cap and while you've lost aerial powers basically clark fills the same position and salary slot so you've got all the same problems that he had already in terms of now trying to re-sign cloud and um at, uh, if she wants to play this season we don't know whether she does or not we got tina charles you got latoya sanders and this is all with The backdrop of Ariel Atkins and Myesha Hines Allen coming off their rookie contracts next year as well. So he also has to plan for keeping some space for the following season. So it's, it's very complicated for what Mike's trying to do with the maths in Washington.
1: Yeah, agreed. It makes their cap situation a little more interesting. Though they did lose aerial powers to the Lynx, so that opens up a little bit of space, but still keeps it kind of They've got a lot of pieces that they're trying to figure out, and I I wonder if we see some more movement there or if maybe, you know, Misma's not coming or something that we don't know yet, but it, it's going to be interesting to see how they can make that all work for this season.
2: I think they'll be they'll going to be scared to not leave enough space to keep Misaman even if she wanted to come like after the Olympics, assuming the Olympics actually take place. Cause then you've got to you've got to leave yourself space just in case. Cause otherwise she might go somewhere else and then you'd lose her for future seasons potentially as well.
1: Right, exactly. And that's obviously she's a big part of the program has was played a huge role in that championship two years ago. That's not a piece they want to be losing. So and it'll be kind of interesting. I mean, today's February first, so all of a sudden will start happening today. So over the next week and stuff, it'll see be interesting to see kind of what other pieces, where other pieces fall, and how that all works out. But something to keep an eye on for sure is their situation. And then I feel like the other like big set of moves we haven't talked about yet are the Minnesota Lynx. The Lynx had three players, Kayla McBride from the Aces, Ariel Powers from Washington, and Natalie Achanwa from the Indiana Fever. So three big additions there for the Lynx. So kind of after a really quiet free agency for them last season, they've started out with kind of a bang here.
2: I think all of this you can actually sort of trace back to last season as well they sort of they made the plays for the big pieces last year and those players signed elsewhere and then they decided not to spend their cap space on sort of sort of smaller players who you might have to overpay in that situation and they saved it knowing that there were going to be a lot of free agents this year and now they now they've spent it i was a little surprised that they ended up with two of the sort of high-end free agent wings rather than just one. But it's it's a big play and they're nice pieces and they're going to be a very interesting, fun team to watch. And they're deep as well. Cheryl Reeve can really go all the way down her bench to talented players and they're going to be a very interesting team. Yeah,
1: I agree with that. I think this is a team that, you know, this season in the wobble we saw them be better than expected by a long shot. I mean, obviously, Dangerfield winning for the year, Nafisa Collier had an amazing season for them, but just a team that spent most of their season without Sylvia Fowles on the court was still very, very good, and now they add all these pieces that kind of fill in some of the holes that we've seen, I think, especially in having you know McBride and Powers as wing players is what's been kind of a big hole in this team, so I think it's going to be really interesting to watch them this season to see if they can kind of even expand on what they did in the Wobble and just be kind of back on that more of a championship contender. I think we think about Minnesota as this team that was for a while a perennial contender and they've been a little bit off further down the, you know, standings the last few seasons, but they might be right back there this year.
2: Yeah. McBride gives them shooting and Powers gives them another creator, which they needed. They didn't really have that much in terms of players who could just get their own shot when you needed them to on the perimeter last year. And, but those players help solve that. And I think also they're preparing for fouls to either break down during a season and then they can go to a smaller team, or they're just preparing for post fouls. She's 35, and this core, apart from her, is all mid 30s, or sorry, all mid 20s, or early 20s, and can all grow together. This, I've seen it called an all in play in terms of. This spending, But I don't think it is, because it's not like they're mortgaging the future to bring in a lot of veterans who are only going to try and win a championship this year or bust. This is a team that can be together for several years and can keep growing. And Odyssey Sims will likely come off the books after 2021. And they could even have a little more money to spend next offseason, potentially, depending on how much... They're giving the fouls, and whether she's still part of what they consider their future.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think you've got a really young core of talented players here that's gonna kind of, like you said, grow together. They're already good, so they're just gonna keep getting better, and it's gonna be fun to watch. I think you know we saw such a, like a core of players from Minnesota that over the last few years have retired or moved on or aren't playing right now, and those that core won so many ch- championships, and now. It's a new set of players that a kind of a entirely different look that's come to Minnesota in the last couple of years, but it's just a really another really talented group.
2: Yeah, and it's a, it's gonna be a a fun team. A chun gives them another piece inside who is a smart post, she's very a Reeve kind of post in that you don't necessarily need the greatest athlete in the world if they know how to play basketball and they do the right things on the floor. Um, it, I think we're probably still waiting on a small move to create enough cap space because if you do the the sums trying to fit um, McBride Powers and Ashonwa into the, what they've got maybe fits but probably doesn't unless they got one of them to take a bit of a discount from what they might have expected so uh, I think we're probably going to see either a small trade or someone getting cut in order to create the space to make those three signings.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's a a little close right now, and they do have, I think it's a number nine pick in the draft as well that they've got to, or they might want to make room for at least, unless they try the trade
2: Yeah, that that, that player's going to struggle to make the roster at this point.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So um, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens there. I mean, I think we're getting to a point, this is kind of off topic in the league, where it's not going to be totally shocking if there is a first-round pick that struggles to make a roster just with the amount of talent in the league right now and the amount of spaces available and I think you're coming into a bit of a weaker draft class so (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something like that happen this season but I also would expect that maybe Minnesota makes some moves to try to maintain that pick or get something else for
2: it. I think there's probably a distinct chance that they're looking at Either of the foreign bigs, and then sort of saying, if you feel like staying away for a year or two and trying to get better before you show up in the U.S., then that's fine with us.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely a possibility. So we'll be interesting to see how the kind of nuts and bolts all work out there. But obviously, big additions for them. I think maybe not the biggest star power moves in that, like Chicago adds Parker, the Aces add gray but I think Minnesota might be kind of the biggest winner for me at least a free agency so far I think they've got kind of exactly what they needed out of the moves they've made thus far
2: yeah like they don't have the the huge stars obviously when they won their titles they were built around number one picks and and superstars now it's a matter of the they've got a lot of depth they've got a lot of pieces that can fit well, together and they can play in a lot of different ways. We saw last year they were basically two different teams depending on whether Fowls was healthy and playing or not. And yeah, Reid can can use what she's got to play in a lot of different styles and adapt to what they need on any given night.
1: Exactly, exactly. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch them play and kind of see. I think we'll see a lot of different lineups from them too, with just the different pieces that they have. So it's it's going to be an exciting season for the Lynx. And then in terms of other moves, I mean, I think we've seen some smaller moves, some kind of winners out of the wobble in terms of getting, getting their their value up a little bit. I think the other one that surprised me the most in a different way is Alicia Gray stays with Dallas. I think that's a player that a lot of people thought might be on the move, but um, she ends up re-signing with Dallas. So it's a big keep for Dallas. I feel like a team that still needs to kind of figure out what they're doing. I think we'll talk about that with a lot of the... You know, players or teams that have been kind of at the bottom of the standings, but uh, they keep their kind of one of their biggest pieces. So, uh, probably a good sign for Dallas and a surprising lack of movement there.
2: Well, that's partly because she's a restricted free agent, and it's always hard to to get a restricted free agent away from their existing team if they're worth keeping. Basically, so she was only going to be going anywhere probably in a sign and trade if Dallas got good offer for her but part of the problem there is that they've got so many players and so many pieces that they would have would have wanted fewer pieces coming back in any trade than they're sending out and i'm not sure many people are interested in the players that they want to send away at the moment it's going to be difficult for them to to make the space for their draft picks already so dallas are different from washington in that they're complicated in a very different way but They also have some work to do before the draft and before we head into the season, trying to manage their roster and try and make it workable. They're also incredibly young. So, uh, grey fits on their timeline, but they probably would have liked to, to add some star power themselves as well and haven't done anything else in free agency as far as we've heard yet.
1: Right. And I think that as far as we heard is key, right? Because everything nothing's official at this point because no one can sign until February first, so everything is just kind of rumors. Well not I mean things have been confirmed by players and by sources, but there could be movements that we just don't know about yet that have already been made. So the next few days could be very interesting in the next couple of weeks really. So a lot of movement probably still to come.
2: Yeah, nothing of nothing official until the pen is on the paper and the co- the contract has been filed and I mean, and the players have passed medicals as well, because some of these players were injured the last we saw them. So you you never know what might fall through until it's officially a transaction that's gone through the league database.
1: Exactly, exactly. So still a lot of steps to come, but still excited to talk about nonetheless. Other moves this week in terms of, you know, a player that really raised her stock in the bubble this summer is signs signs with New York. I'm um, a restricted free agent. We obviously don't have salary details yet, but expect that she probably got a pretty big payday and she leaves one team that was near the bottom of the standings for another, but she makes a new move to the Liberty. So the Liberty add a good piece um, to their roster as
2: well. Yeah, obviously she had a great season in Atlanta when no one was expecting it and now she's going to be paid a lot of money in New York to hopefully replicate something similar or at least be a step up from what she'd done before last season. It perhaps suggests that New York aren't entirely convinced with all of their various 3-4 forwards that they had last season and so they've gone out to try and sign another one that can help them and that might be slightly more prepared to take on a major role. They they do need scoring. They need a wing who could, who could provide that sort of dependability and she should help them defensively as well. So yeah, it's, it's a nice signing for them. You can argue she's probably going to end up overpaid and you don't know whether everything about last season was real, given that she's basically had one good season in the WNBA, but, when you're a bad team you may you have to take some risks to dig yourself out a lot of the time and this was probably worth worth the try for New York they had a, had a lot of cap space as well so you got to spend it on someone at some point
1: <laughs> exactly i think a, a good move for them i New York is in a position where they're not good, so it's going to be harder for them to get some of these bigger players. So they're able to make a play for Lady. I think it's a good addition. Uh, They might not necessarily be able to make that play with some of these other bigger names. So it's a bit of a gamble, I think, because we have just seen one season of Lady being that good. But if she can come close to replicating what she did in the bubble this summer, I think it's going to be a really big pickup for them. And then on the other side, her old team, Atlanta adds Cheyenne Parker after kind of coming off, you know, the Candace Parker trade to Chicago. That doesn't really make a lot of sense for Parker, other Parker to stay in Chicago and she heads to the Atlanta dream.
2: Yeah. This gets complicated talking about one Parker replacing another Parker and they've even got the same initial just to make it even tougher when you're writing them down. So yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's a useful pickup for Atlanta in terms of she's, She's still young enough to fit in with their timeline. She, they needed help inside. They'll probably let Glory Johnson go somewhere else, or at worst, sign sort of something like the vet minimum to back her up. And yeah, it's a, it's a useful play. Whether it makes them that much better, from sort of a likely fringe playoff team to a lottery team I'm not sure whether Cheyenne Parker digs you out of that position I think you're going to need um, to make leaps elsewhere to, to to make a genuine move from where they were already and Nikki Collin has to be worrying about her job if they're bad again in 2021 but yeah she she obviously is an improvement and helps fill a hole in Atlanta
1: yeah, I agree with that exactly. It's a it's a good pickup for them, but it's probably not enough to kind of just push them a little further forward or as forward as they want to be. Um, I mean, obviously, they've got some good young pieces. They added Courtney Williams last season, who didn't really play till later in the season. Kennedy Carter is kind of a their draft pick from last year is someone that I expect is going to just get better and better um, and going to be kind of a, a big player in the WNBA. So they've got some young pieces there that surround her that should make – if they get better, they'll, they'll just be better. But I, I still feel like they need something else to kind of push them into, you know, a definite playoff team.
2: Yeah, it feels like a team that kind of needs a star sender, centerpiece, even with Williams and Kennedy Carter in the backcourt. Uh, you can argue they're missing, you know, say, an Angel McCautry <laughs> which... <laughs> they obviously have lost in in recent times and yeah it still feels like a team that is in need of help even after adding parker to me but we'll see but they're, they're, they're fun to watch they were fun to watch last year even when they were bad they they play fast they take a lot of shots it's 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 a fun team but not necessarily a great team yet
1: exactly exactly and then i think the other move that we haven't really talked about yet is the most recent one. It's Erica Wheeler leaves the, the Indiana Fever and heads to Los Angeles as well. So that was just announced. We're recording this on Saturday. So it was just announced this morning. Um, another interesting move, adds some talent to the LA after they've, they've lost some pieces, but also poses some questions about where Indiana goes from here.
2: Yeah, I don't think she's the greatest fit in LA where presumably she'd be playing alongside Christy Tolliver. And then that's a pretty awful defensive backcourt and small and quite lightweight. Tolliver's had her best seasons in the second half of her career playing alongside other big guards. So she was always guarding the smallest, um, usually the point guard player on the other team. And now playing alongside Wheeler, there's scoring there. There's there's creation, plenty of offense, but defensively on a team that's also just lost Parker, that's that's a downgrade. Um, as a pure talent play, I can understand it from LA when you've lost you've lost Parker, you've lost Gray, you want to go out and sign someone with the space that's just opened up, and there aren't a lot of superstars left on the market at this point that you know. assuming everything that's been reported is accurate, things are drying up pretty quickly, so as a pure talent play, it makes sense. You you go out, you get someone like Wheeler, you can always make a trade later on if it isn't working out, and then you turn that signing into some, some other kind of talent. But, I don't know if it's the greatest fit for LA. And in Indiana, they'll be disappointed to lose her, but they have at least basically had a year learning to play without her, because... She obviously ne- never made it into the wobble last year. So as long as Alamon shows up, because with Belgium hopefully heading for an Olympic Games, she may have other priorities in 2021. But as long as she shows up, they do have already a replacement at point guard and can move on. They They will be disappointed to have lost her. They gave her a time-off bonus last year, even when she didn't play a single game, which was obviously they would have been hoping was an incentive to stay. But, yeah, they're going to have to move on. And, again, they'll be hoping for development from their young players. And that's pretty much all they can rely on at the moment.
1: Yeah, exactly. Indiana's team, other than losing a couple pieces, has been pretty quiet so far the season. I think, you know, Indiana, Phoenix, and Seattle, all teams that we haven't seen make any moves so far in free agency. And then the Connecticut Sun signed Jasmine Thomas to a new deal. So, uh, Obviously, important piece of that team, and they've brought her back. But no other big moves from the Sun either so far. So we've hit on all the major ones. But yeah, yeah, Quite team so
2: far too. Connecticut were kind of put into an awkward position by Alyssa Thomas's injury. Where exactly how they're going to manage that, and whether they're going to re-sign her and pay her, or re-sign her and suspend her, it makes things difficult for them. Makes things awkward in terms of trying to add anyone else.
1: Exactly. And they're a team that's got a few kind of bigger pieces that are free agents this season. So they've we've got some things to figure out, but that obviously that Elizabeth Thomas injury, unfortunate and throws a bit of wrench into their plans. I think they're a team that, you know, when they signed Bonner last season and, and then they're bringing back John Cole Jones this season, who didn't play last season, they were looking at with that and then Tom, both Thomas's a potential championship team. And obviously not having little Thomas throws a bit of wrench in that and in their plans in general. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that piece works out. I'm sure we'll hear over the next few weeks about what they're going to do there, but it's, it makes things a little bit more challenging for the Sun.
2: Yeah, I mean, there'll still be plenty of talent in that front court with Bonner and John Quill Jones presumably coming back, but Alyssa Thomas makes made them tick for the last couple of years. She basically, even if she's not officially the point guard, she pushes their offense and makes them go. So losing her even if you are essentially replacing her with Jones, it makes them a different kind of team because someone else has to run things and make their offense go. And it's going to be difficult without Alyssa Thomas. It changes pretty much everything they do. Kurt Miller will have to rejig how the offense works without her
1: exactly and not really related to free agency though i do wonder that now that she obviously with the achilles has to have surgery is a long recovery road just does she get those shoulders fixed too at the same time and how good does Alyssa is Elizabeth thomas if she comes back from her achilles with two functioning shoulders
2: i mean if you're gonna be out for the the leg injury anyway then why not yeah get all the surgery done get get Resign with somebody, make them pay for it, and then get everything done that you need to get done at the same time.
1: <laughs> so yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll see a twenty twenty two Alyssa Thomas that has functioning shoulders, which like no b- bionic best-
2: limbs. <laughs> yeah, that Alyssa yeah. Thomas with with <laughs> with robot additions could be ridiculous.
1: <laughs> yeah, some teams. There might be some competition for her in their free agency market. Comes back with bionic limbs. There's going to be a lot of teams that want her. Not that a lot of teams don't already want her. So <laughs> it will be interesting to see what happens there. But um, I would think that the Sun wants to find a way to keep her and find a way to make that work with this season and her being out. But we'll see kind of how that shakes out in the coming weeks here.
2: Yeah, I mean, if Connecticut sort of paused in sort of whether they wanted to pay her or not, I wonder whether someone else would jump in and say hey, we'll pay you to do nothing except rehab for the next year and then be our centrepiece. I mean, for example Indiana, who obviously have plenty of cap space at this point especially having lost Wheeler. Why not? You're basically going to be spending twenty twenty one trying to develop your youth anyway Why not spend $200 Grand of cap space, preparing yourself to have Alyssa Thomas in the future. But obviously that would take her moving on from Connecticut and Connecticut screwing it up and not managing to keep her happy.
1: Exactly, exactly. So probably unlikely, but a good point in that there are Indiana, New York, some young teams that could use a superstar that Alyssa Thomas could maybe fill that role. Um, and if you're not going to be good this year anyway... Why not take that gamble?
2: Absolutely,
1: so. yeah. So yeah, lots of things to keep an eye on kind of going into the next week. Do you have any crazy predictions, things you think are going to happen as we learn more as you know, signings become official?
0: Um,
2: I would point out that two of the three players that got called currently remain unsigned and that just because you're, you got called doesn't necessarily mean you're staying... With the team that called you, I mean the th- the three players that got caught were ne- were Necker, Howard, and Cambage.
1: Right. Yes, Necker, Howard, and Cambage. So, look for you know in the next week, do we see Howard and Cambage sign? Is there some movement there? I think we'd be surprised to see either of them move, but you never know. So, um, something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, I don't feel like I have anything wild prediction wise say there I feel like we've already seen some pretty wild moves so I'm just excited to see how everything shakes out I think you know it just takes one big move to set things off I think you know Candace Parker was that move this year when one person one big star moves it, it just kind of sets things in motion across the league so interested to see I think we've already seen some dominance fall from that trade but interesting to see what other pieces kind of move as we go into the next couple weeks as well.
2: Yeah, things do sort of cascade in sort of Parker signing in Chicago then meant Cheyenne Parkham had to move on and you know Alicia Clark moving on from Seattle means the Storm are surely going to have to do something to try and replace that hole and make another run because we're assuming Sue Bird is still going to play and come back for another season assuming she does this is a team that's going to want to win immediately before she retires.
1: Right, exactly. So I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they fill that hole with. Of course, you know, a lot of the best talent I think has already kind of been scooped up from the free agency market, but there could still be trades and a lot of different ways to kind of move things around. So interested to see what the storm will do. Well I think that's all we've got on free agency. Thanks Richard for joining me to talk all about all these big moves so far.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Well we could certainly to spend this entire episode talking about free agency, it feels like it would be a disservice to not at least talk about the NCAA women's basketball a little bit, given everything that's happened in the last week. We've seen lots of close game Thursday night, really big upsets. Number two, NC state loses to Virginia tech. And then number three, UConn loses to number 19, Arkansas. So two big upsets there. Um, obviously super exciting to just watch all of the close games and the competition. I think that, Something we've been you know, hammering home since the preseason is just that there's a lot of parity this season, and we're we're seeing that in the results so far, and I think we're going to see that as it continues into March. It's Super interesting to kind of follow everything. You really never know what's going to happen on a given night. Uh, that's always the case, but it feels even more true this season. Kind of on that note, I feel like for the first time in what feels like a while, I don't feel like there's a... Clear number one, or if you know, like a top tier of teams. I think last year maybe there wasn't a clear number one, but we saw like a very obvious top tier with Baylor, South Carolina, and Oregon, South Carolina and Oregon, especially in that top tier. And it feels like this season is just lacking that. We've seen kind of other than Louisville, all of the top teams have at least one loss, not necessarily to each other. There's just been a lot of parody at the top, a lot of close games. No one feels like they're really dominating the college basketball scene right now, which obviously keeps things very interesting, but also just makes it a little hard to, to decipher at the top. Kind of talked to some of you on Twitter about this, but just wanted to try to step back and look at, all right, if we're making a top tier right now, who's in that tier and might look a lot bigger than it does in a typical season, but I think it's still worth taking a look at kind of what the top teams look like right now. And I think the biggest thing is that I mean, granted, this is a shorter season. There's been less games, lots of disruptions. All of this stuff is certainly adding on top of the fact that there's just a little bit more parity this season to begin with. But it still feels like there's like, to me, five teams that are in kind of the sphere of the top tier right now. And the thing that strikes me the most though is that it's January or well February first now that this is coming out and. I can like, pinpoint an issue with all of them. There's like, there's no team that seems to have it all figured out. There's teams that are very good, but there's still like a question mark on pretty much all of these teams, which just makes things so interesting. I mean, we still have a full month till March, so maybe these teams will answer some of those questions. Maybe it's just going to keep being this interesting until March, which I think is obviously what we're all looking forward to, the tournament. I think the tournament's going to be super interesting because of this. We've seen the, so many upsets, not just from you know one ranked team beating another, but unranked teams as well. So without, I'll stop belaboring the point, but I think there's really three, five teams that I would say are kind of in contention for that, who's the best team in the country right now. And I'll start it out with South Carolina. I think to me, South Carolina has the best argument, at least right now, to be the top team in the country. They have lost just one game to NC State, which we're also going to talk about in this group. And then they're playing in the SEC, which I don't really think this is even a hot take at this point. We always talk about the Pac-12 being the best league in women's basketball. Pac-12 is still very good this year, very top heavy, but I think the SEC actually might be the toughest league in college basketball right now on the women's side. It's just between South Carolina at the top, but there is a hodgepodge of teams in that kind of. Fifteen to twenty-five ranking rates. and then there's a couple teams that are not far off of that. They that are upsetting teams as well. So, and I shouldn't say fifteen to twenty because Texas A and M is in that top ten as well. So, just a lot of high ranked teams in this SEC, but a lot of depth to the SEC as well. And definitely one of the most challenging leagues in the country. And South Carolina starts out their SEC season nine and zero. I think the thing that sticks out to me the but. Uh, to me, about them the most is just Olia Boston. When she's on, she's just so good. There's really, I don't think we've seen her when she's really on. There's no team that can stop her, and no one really has an answer for her. And I think that's going to be huge for South Carolina coming into. I mean, even just in the next couple weeks, they play UConn, and then they've got other obviously big SEC games against the likes of Texas A&M. That's their actually last regular season game in the SEC as the schedule stands right now. Because of course, we know things change pretty much every day, but. I think that's going to be a key factor for them is how good is Aaliyah Boston heading into March. I think my one biggest question with South Carolina is just they seem to revolve, I mean they have lots of players and lots of depth and other players that can step up, but their core is Aaliyah Boston, Zia Cook, and Destiny Henderson. And while they're all very good, we have really yet since like December to see them play a game where all since early December where all three of them are on. I don't think they've all scored in double figures in a game since early December. There's always two of them are on, but I think when you're talking about playing the likes of these other top teams in March in a, you know, elite eight final four type situation, if they're going to be there, they're going to need all three of those players to be on. And I would just look for a little bit more consistency from the three of them collectively heading into February and March as we kind of try to decipher who we think is going to make it to the final four and win a national championship this year. I think next on my list in the top is going to be Stanford. I think they're in a very similar situation. They've got two losses now, but still in a battle-tested schedule, Pac-12, like I said, SEC, in my opinion, right now is the best conference in the country, but the Pac-12 is not far behind. Really, really solid conference. They've, I mean, they've got two Pac-12 losses. The, the loss to Colorado is what I think most would classify as a bad loss. It's a not one of the top teams in the Pac-12, unranked loss. They were on the road. I cut Stanford a little slack because, because of the health ordinances. On their campus, they've been... A, basically playing away from home for two months now. So they haven't slept in their own beds. They're good. I mean, every team in the country has a reason to be distracted with everything going on in the world, but they've just got an extra element to that. And then they go and they lose back-to-back games. And it was to UCLA as well, obviously not a bad, bad loss. I'm not going to have UCLA, UCLA in this top five group, but they are on the list of honorable mentions at the end. You know, they're a really good team stiff I think just gets beat on the boards a lot in that game and that's kind of ultimately what causes them to lose it. But in general, I think they're just probably the deepest team in the cup of college basketball right now. their bench is just so deep even when one of their best players gets in foul trouble, they just have so two players get in foul trouble. they have so many options they can bring in off the bench that can replace that production. Um, but I think with all that depth, the one thing that stands out for me is they just don't feel like they have their go-to player yet. I think at the end of that UCLA game, this is very clear. I mean, they just can't finish at the end. And then they also can't get the rebound. They let UCLA get multiple offensive rebounds on free throws at the end of the game. Just can't t- finish out that game. But they need like a go-to player, I think, heading into March. I mean Haley Jones or Keanu Williams feel like the best candidates for that but I just don't feel like we've seen them kind of establish who that best player is yet or not best player necessarily but who that go-to player is if they need a bucket at the end of the game who's taking that shot and that's a question they need to answer going into March next up on my list I've got UConn I know they lost this week but I think you know one loss doesn't knock them off that list of best players best teams in the country. They pick up a win over Tennessee, a close win, but a win over Tennessee the week before a handed win over DePaul on Sunday as I'm recording this. So they, they dropped one. I mean, shout out to Chelsea Dungy in that game for Arkansas because she had 37 points that just had no answer for her. They could not stop her defensively and Arkansas gets a huge win, going back to the point that the SEC looks like the best conference in the country. Arkansas, very much a part of that. But the Huskies still have, I think, what is probably one of the best, if not the best backcourt in the country right now, between Paige Beckers, freshmen, obviously, highlight reel, walking highlight reel. has been incredible. Avina Westbrook has been really good for them. Kristen Williams. And then they have pieces off the bench they can bring in as well. If Anna Mockeret. Makara gets healthy for them. That's another guard that they can bring in. Me for me, the question for Yukon right now is how good can Olivia Nelson and Dota be? I think that kind of is just the answer to how far this team can go. We've saw at the beginning of the season she was really, really good looking like one of the top players in the country against the biggest their biggest part of the schedule. But now that we've got into some of these tougher games, we've seen her kind of struggle a little bit. She struggled Big time against Tennessee, didn't have a great game, really wasn't able to do much on the court with that size. Um, And then uh, we even saw her struggle and look a little bit lost out there versus Arkansas, which to me was interesting because she had the size that Arkansas doesn't have. Um, I think, you know, Arkansas and DePaul, Arkansas has Chelsea Dumgey and Destiny Slocum and the star power, But Arkansas versus DePaul, to me, are very similar styles of play, very similar teams. And she was able to be pretty good against DePaul on Sunday, not great against Arkansas on Thursday. Is it just a slump? Is she really just going to struggle against this top talent? I think that's something that UConn needs to answer and is going to kind of set the tone for how far their team can go as well. Next up, I've got Louisville. For me, Louisville, obviously undefeated. That counts for a huge thing, right? If you have finishing games, not losing games, it's extremely important. They've been able to squeak out some close ones, but they've finished it. That's thanks to Dana Evans. That, that if you're going to talk about Louisville, we have to talk about Dana Evans. she just been absolutely phenomenal for them. Playing like an All-American for sure, I think should be on everyone's radar list for AP All-Americans or for... All-Americans this year, but the question for me is they've kind of eked out their last three. They have a little bit more handed victory Thursday night against UNC, but they go up big in the first half and then kind of fall apart a bit in the second half and get a close margin of victory. And then they lose their, or they win their two before that by just two points over Wake Forest and three points over Miami. So really close games. I mean, the biggest question from the start with this Louisville team has been what can they do inside? Because they, they don't have a lot of size. They have great guards. They like the size. I think that's going to be a prominent question going into February and March. Honestly, going into today, they play NC State Monday night. So tonight, if you're listening as this comes out, and we're going to kind of get to see them get a test because I think that's the other thing for me with Louisville is since they played that DePaul game, which they did win by a long shot, they haven't really played any tough top-tier teams. They've played – ACC opponents which are good but not the top of the ACC so interested to see what happens there in that game we're going to talk about NC State in a second here but I think they they're a team that that still has those questions inside to answer and not only how do they they can shoot the ball so I don't know that it necessarily matters so much on the offensive perspective for them but on the defensive end if we talk about this NC State game if as a Kinane plays, how do they respond to that kind of size inside? Can they guard it? I think it's going to be the same question if you see them against the South Carolina or something like that in March. What can they do to answer that? And then the last team I have in that top five group is NC State. Again, we're undefeated until this week, lost Thursday to Virginia Tech, but without Kinane. So I take that with a little bit of salt. If you're lacking your best player that's going to – Obviously, Impact you. Virginia Tech, isn't ranked, but they're still a good team. So how do you gauge that? Loss is tough to tell. I do think they boast one of the best wins in the the country right now with a win over South Carolina. South Carolina's only loss. That's from early December, so it's from a while ago, but it's still a very, very big win to have on their resume and proves that they can kind of play against this top team. I think that game is the only... game that we've seen between this group of top five teams so I think that that carries some weight here and just that we've at least seen a comparison between those two and they did get the win there but I just think that you know NC State has been on pause for a while from COVID and we've seen South Carolina play so many other tough opponents in that span that I still give South Carolina the the edge there despite the fact that NC State is the one that won that game but for NC State, I think it just comes down to is Canadian healthy. Um, I'm looking forward again to, to this Monday game against Louisville. What happens there? So yeah, I mean, lots of basketball to be played. Obviously, there's teams that can play their way in and out of this group. But kind of was trying to at least try to break down where where these teams stand in the top and who really has an argument to be the best in the country welcome your arguments on Twitter if you disagree with me. I'll say that I'm not attached to the order. I think South Carolina and Stanford are the top two. The other three, I I can argue myself into any order for them. But I do feel like this, to me, is a clear group of five. There's a little bit of separation between this five and then the next tier. I'd throw honorable mentions there. Texas A&M has been fantastic in the SEC, moved into the top ten in the poll, a team to keep an eye on for sure. I think if anyone was going to beat South Carolina in the SEC, I would give Texas A.M. the biggest chance. But like I said, the SEC is really strong. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw South Carolina lose to someone else. And then Maryland, top of the Big Ten, they've got two losses, just one to Ohio State and one from earlier in the season to Missouri State, but very strong with major program there kind of coming onto the radar. There's a, a team that just by the eye test hasn't really launched themselves into that top group for me yet, but definitely a t- team to keep an eye on. And the last one I'm putting in that honorable mentions is UCLA, actually ranked fifth in the country right now, but the the eight players for them is a struggle. I think we see it in a lot of these games. They go up bigger and then they kind of gets to be a close game at the end. And they've got to find a way to finish and it becomes hard when you've got eight players and they're playing tons of minutes night in and night out. They've benefited a little bit from weird to say, but the way that the Pac-12 COVID cancellations have fallen, they've kind of been playing one game a week in their Pac-12 play, which probably helps given their short roster, but... Eight players, especially come March, just feels like a short bench. It is a short bench to work with. So as good as Mikhail Anyawari and Charisma Osborne are for them, I'm I'm just not quite sure that they can make that jump into that top tier. Those two are so good, but they just, they don't have a lot on that bench. Like I said, still plenty of basketball to play. My thoughts on this, I'm sure will change, as will all of our listeners, I'm sure will change as the season goes on for the next month and a half or so before the tournament starts but I think it's just exciting to see this level of parody and to have to like be discussing this and not have a clear number one team I think is very is very interesting and is making the season fun despite all the cancellations and everything that kind of disrupts the flow and the excitement that gets plugged in so I'm um, Finishing this up Sunday night, so fingers crossed that as this comes out, we're having a Louisville-North Carolina State game Monday night, big Monday game. Tune into that. Lots of big games all week, and we'll be back with you on Friday with a new episode. As always, make sure you rate, like, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. Also, make sure you're following us on social media subscribe to the newsletter and of course check out the stat site herhoopstats.com it's just $20 a year to subscribe our Her Hoop Stats ratings just came out so our own ratings of all the teams at NCAA women's basketball so make sure you're subscribed to check those out thanks again for listening